in times of uncertainty that we look to our leaders to provide guidance, clarity and support. We hope that they will show us a path that we can confidently follow. But can we assume that our leaders know the answers to the difficult questions they're being asked? It's managers that take teams through a preconceived plan where the thinking has already been done and the conditions are more predictable. But it is leaders that must create the culture for those teams to thrive when the conditions change and the future becomes frighteningly uncertain. As human beings, our first instinct in times of crisis is to look after number one. Our thoughts are consumed by our own safety and the safety of our children and our families. Yet it is in times of crisis we need creativity, new ideas and solutions. And this is a problem because one tends to counteract the other. Plato famously said, our need will be our real creator, which later become necessity is the mother of invention, which has never been more relevant as the world looked for innovative ways to tackle a global pandemic. Some businesses seeing COVID-19 as an opportunity, a chance for new thinking to evolve and a time to leave old systems and processes firmly in the past. But how? How did the people and organisations responsible for these new ideas get so creative and remain so productive in a time of unprecedented uncertainty? The answer is simple. Good leadership. Do I mean that the brave leaders suddenly came up with all the new ideas, whilst their afraid and bewildered followers are sat waiting for instruction? Of course not. I mean that the good leaders simply address the primary need of their teams made them feel safe and secure, listened empathetically to the differing needs of their tribe and thus created a culture for them all to thrive. In this episode, I talked to my friend and high school teacher, Jane Galbraith, whose inspiring leadership throughout the crisis illustrates this point beautifully. Education in many ways is an archaic institution that has struggled to evolve over 50 years, let alone overnight an industry that was turned completely on its head, compounded massively by a lack of communication from central government, a lack of planning, and a lack of empathy for the thousands of teachers who were left to pick up the pieces. I can't help comparing them to a group of stranded passengers on a desert island, left to fend for themselves in terrible weather and with little resources, but being expected to keep everyone alive until the shiny big ship comes back to rescue them. As an educator myself and a father of three children, I want to personally thank all of the teachers for their commitment, their passion and their creativity throughout these difficult times and thank all of the head teachers and leadership teams for creating the right culture for that to happen. I also want to personally thank Jane for taking the time to share her thoughts, her stories and her vision of the future of education. This is the Leadership Club Podcast. So, Jane, thank you for coming in at at a time when you're obviously massively up the wall in terms of pressure. But I think talking about leadership is probably a great time to do it now 
because we're, we're right in the thick of this crisis. And I'm interested because I think edu- I was saying before, just before we, we, we sort of came on, how education literally has been completely and utterly turned upside down. And I think, you know, rightfully, when you look at the healthcare industry, they've had a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, maybe undue pra- sorry, praise that, that was that people didn't realise the things that they did, and that's all became very clear. But I think education are probably be also within the unsung heroes of this whole whole pandemic. And before we get into the kind of leadership piece around uh, around you being a high school teacher, a high school head teacher, uh, I'm really keen to see how you ended up in the job that you've that you've got, um, and how you you went from being, uh, as I said, a teacher into into a head. So just just sort of set some context about about that. Okay. Um, I spent quite a lot of my teenage years not wanting to teach, um, possibly because my parents were teachers. And I think I thought, no, I don't want to go into the family business. Um, but went and lived abroad, taught some English to earn some money while I was there and loved it. And then came back, trained. And from that moment on, I think leading a school was always something I wanted. Saw myself doing eventually. Um, the opportunity presented itself when I moved from, I'd done 10 years in Kirby. Um, down the M58, the opportunity came up in Skelmersdale at Latham as deputy and then very quickly it needed an acting head teacher um, and I took that opportunity and uh, the rest as they say is uh, history, six years of it now. Um, but, but I think in terms of my personal decision it was one of then thinking you know what no being in schools is where I want to be, working with young people with teenagers is what I want to do, it's not everybody's cup of tea at all um, you know, the big ugly and they fight back um, when they want to. But um, it very much was about wanting to, to make a difference. And I know that's a cliche, but it was always about thinking schools can be really, really fabulous places for young people to thrive and grow. And yeah, I wanted to lead my own. Quite frankly, I wanted to lead my own and see what I could do with the values that I thought should be there in a community school. I'm, in- I'm interested about about there comes a point where people say that you you need to want to lead um, yeah. it's not something sometimes people get thrust in positions yeah. that they don't they don't want sometimes people will get into positions that they they do want but they're not right for it yeah did you did your mindset change so were you obviously an ambitious person mm. you became the head of a school was it about ambition getting to the top and then and then it was about leading or was it always was there always a desire to want to be you know lead for for a particular cause I think I've always wanted to lead. If I look back through my career, at the earliest possible opportunity, I wanted to do more than just be in the classroom. I've always wanted to be in the classroom and I love that interaction with teenagers, but I always wanted to do more because I think fundamentally I believe that education is more than just what goes on. In, in my case, it was in French and Spanish lessons because that's what I was teaching at the time. Latterly, music and English, but, but it's about the development of that teenager, that person and the person they're going to be. And to do that, you've got to take on more responsibility. And I think from a very early point in my career, I wanted more of that. I wanted to lead. Um, and then eventually, I think you move up. For me, you move up the ladder um, in a very traditional way in schools. And that's still the case, I think, quite a lot of the time. And I think now when I'm looking at staff development, for example, I might see somebody and see something in them very early in their career. And I won't be afraid to promote that and to develop that in a way that when I was going through, you, you did two years in the classroom. Then you did this responsibility. You went through in a very traditional way. I was fortunate in a lot of ways when I look back now that when I got the deputy headship at Latham, 
and then the opportunity came up to actually take the school on um, and from there um, my desire to lead has only grown really most of the time apart from when the odd crisis hits obviously uh, and you think what am I in this for um, but no I think my desire to lead's always been there uh, and, and I do think there's in some people have that some people can develop it and some people really struggle actually it's just not a natural characteristic in some individuals yeah, there's, yeah. there is a case for that, isn't there? That there is, you know, I know with my team that some people have no desire to lead, no. but you know, they they're the kind of yin to the yang. Yeah, they like. bring such quality in other ways, exactly, and you couldn't yeah. do the job without them. Yes, and absolutely. you need those people in a high school. You need those people that are career teachers. Mm -hmm. They are just outstanding in the classroom, and that's where they want to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you don't want them to lead in some ways because it takes them out of the classroom. And then you lose that quality. So being able to balance it, find that balance in any team, I think is part of your job. Um, when you're the head of that team, when you're the captain of the team, whichever way, whatever sort of team it is. But, really. but there, I think there is that about teachers as well. Like I've throughout my career, I've met a lot of teachers, and you know, teaching acting or, or performance. And I some teachers say that they shudder at the thought of of performance. And yeah. Say, oh well, I'm oh god, god, I'm not an actor. And you're thinking. Yeah. Hang on a minute. You you you're absolutely an actor when you're in front of those okay. kids, and, and like you say, you know, teachers who might not want to in their head, they might not want to lead strategically or management of the, in a school, but but they are absolutely leaders in their own right yeah. because everything that they do has a you know a bigger impact on young people. And they lead. If they're a secondary school teacher, they lead possibly 150 young people a day yeah. through five lessons a day, and yeah, they don't want to speak about their colleagues. They don't want to stand up and be seen but they perform every time they're in front of a class. Um, but yet to point that out to some staff, I think is, is quite alien to them, really. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't do that. I'm, I'm just a teacher. It's like, no, the whole performance art, it really is. Yeah. Um, and, and then the very, very best know every one of those individuals in front of them, inside out, and that's how they get the relationship, which then leads to the, you know, to the education being of the best quality it can be. But from my point of view, I've then got to know my team just as well because then it's about putting everybody in the right place and then changing it, being brave enough to change it when it's not working. So let, let, let's talk about, the, you know, I think we, as leaders and as, as just as a as society, you know, we, we try to plan, we try to, yeah. we try to have <laughs> yes. things. And I think teachers, more than most, you know, they're great planners. They, they, they know because they, they're teaching term to term, they know the age group of the kids, they, they, there's a lot of things that they can control. Um, and then all of a sudden, society gets hit with the first, certainly in our generation, a, a yeah. global pandemic. And you guys as teachers, and you particularly as the, as the head teacher, has now, got to, has now got to lead the school through a massive uncertainty. Yeah. Tell us, just tell us about how, you know, how, what, what happened at that moment when, Obviously, went into lockdown, and then just ha give us your sort of, you know, your take on managing that school through mm. through COVID nineteen. Okay, so if I if I go back, I find it hard to believe it's nearly ten months now since all this began, and go back to last March, and things started to shift and change in the press, and we started to become aware of messages that were coming through that this was this was coming, and it was real. And as you say, yeah, teachers, educators are planners, and they like to be in control, me included. Um, I don't, you know, the control thing is that it, that's been a real learning journey in this last 10 months in terms of um, there are so many things we now can't control. And I think very much for us, very quickly, we thought, right, okay, we need to be armed with as much information as we can be. 
Um, we were watching every briefing, uh, every government briefing that came through. We were staying in the building till 8 o'clock at night, every night in March, watching those briefings come through, gathering that information to prep to talk to staff the next day. And we were meeting every day. And I was saying very honestly, very candidly and openly, look, we don't know what's coming. Uh, not we don't know what we're doing, but we don't know what's coming. So how can we get control where we can? Um, where do we just need to breathe a bit here and wait and see what happens? And what can we do to protect you? What can we do to support you so you still feel safe at work? Um, and so the children are cared for and educated as well as they can be in the circumstances. Obviously, we hit lockdown very, very quickly. And that was a huge unknown to us at the time. Very different now as we approach this third one. Um, we approach that with a real strategy because we've done it before. Uh, but we had to develop the strategy daily, literally daily. I've never sat in so many meetings on a computer screen as we did back there in April, um, getting things up and running quickly, turning our business on its head and moving it to people's homes, um, getting teachers into those homes virtually through paper to begin with, work paper now through the screen, you know, through Teams, through Zoom, all of those things. Um, but all the time thinking, what's this like for everybody? So from my point of view, as the leader of the organisation, what's this like for a child? What's it like for their mum and dad? What's it like for all my staff? What's it like for my community? And it's frightening. And it's frightening because they're not in control either. So therefore, what compassion's needed? What care is needed? And how am I going to keep communicating that so that people know we're there for them? And then we're there for them and to educate the children and to support them with the social needs and the challenges that have come from the pandemic. Um, and that changes. That's been changing. Um, and yet at the same time, the constant is the children and their families and my staff and their families and making sure that we're looking after everybody and looking after one another so we can do the best job in the circumstances. Um, but never has there been so much change in such a short space of time in an industry which actually hasn't seen much change really and teachers will complain about change they will but over years and years and years GCSEs have been GCSEs haven't they so suddenly for two years for there not to be any this is seismic it's massive and teachers are creatures of habit so supporting people with that supporting people to try and think more creatively differently about how we can tackle the challenges in front of us I think has been crucial it's been really, really fascinating watching human behaviour develop and then responding where we need to, anticipating where something might be going, um, being able to think right strategically, what can we get in ahead of? Where can we get ahead? Where have we just got to wait and see? And playing that balancing game really all the time. Um, it's been quite the ride, I think. Uh, and it's not without its cost, that's clear. But it's also not without its benefits. And I'm not afraid to say that in any conversation at school with parents, we've learned a lot and we'll be better for it. And I mean that genuinely. I think we will be better for it. You talk about uh, what you said from the get-go. The, the first thing that came to your mind was to make sure that you could see it from everyone's point of view. Yeah. And, that you know, the, the word that you describe and without saying it was, was empathy. Like, you, you immediately thought... How does this affect staff? How does this how does this yeah. affect everybody yeah. within that within that thing? Do you, was that the first thing in your mind was about making sure that everybody felt safe? Yeah, and it remains that now. And I think now in lockdown three, as we are, this is harder. Actually, it's harder to maintain that that feeling of safety and security because it's been going for so long that people are far more uncertain. Um, there was a novelty to it originally back in the spring last year 
Nobody thought it would last as long as it has done. Um, people were all right with the idea. The weather was lovely. There were lots and lots of other factors that made it okay for a while. Mm. I think we're in a dark, dark, damp winter now. Um, out there, it's, it's not pleasant. Um, and people can't see much light at the end of the tunnel. I know, you know, we talk a lot about the vaccine and all of those things, but we're a long way away from everybody being in that position. And even then, will we feel safe? I don't know. So, I, yeah, I think, I think for me, the priority was people need to feel safe, they need to feel secure to be able to do a good job, to be able to learn well, to be successful as a person, whether that's as a child or an adult. So for me, at the heart of that is what trauma is this causing? Are they safe? Do they feel safe? And how can we make that certain? Um, because then you can be effective in what you do. And I think that that matters whether you're 71 or one, you know, that that sense of security actually matters massively to then be able to then lead and lead a team, make them effective in what they do and make them feel it's possible, I suppose. I think otherwise so much of this has felt could have felt impossible. Um, we've tried to make the impossible possible all the way through. Um, and, and I think from that point of view, yeah, it is my first thought and it is still my first thought. Um, it drives me to then get further every every day, really, I think, in terms of what we're doing. There, there, there's, you know, that, that whole thing about making your team feel safe, you know, maybe even sacrificing thoughts of, of, of how do you feel personally. You know, you, the, the first thought in your head comes because the te- protect the team, the team will then protect each other, they will yep. protect the school, they will protect the kids, that, and it has this right, huge yeah. knock-on effect. You know, and I, I think that's really fascinating because I think, you know, as leaders you know, what we've seen throughout the pandemic. And I'm, you know, we, we've uh, we've been watching all of us as, as really interested bystanders mm-hmm. because it affects us as human yeah. beings. We've seen a lot of people who have put themselves or their reputations first or they've mm-hmm. thrown their colleagues under the bus a little bit because, the, you know, natural instinct for human beings is protect, yeah. protect oneself. And yet here we are, you know, you you've created this culture where, everyone first and foremost before we talk about education we talk about home learning before we talk about anything else everyone feels safe and then you get this this buy-in from everybody they start worrying about safety now they're starting to worry about solutions to to this that's what i hope i hope you create the conditions we create the conditions as a team for creative thinking to then take place so then we end up with some really really high quality remote learning experiences for the for the students because staff are prepared to give it a go, to go live and do an experiment live on camera and get it up beaming into kids' homes. You know, all those things you're creating, I think, or you're trying to create as a leader. For me, anyway, the conditions for that people to thrive, even in adversity, that's the challenge at the current time because of the pandemic. pandemic. And yeah, I, I can see where your question's coming from in terms of, yeah, you can see plenty of examples of different styles of leadership in the country at the current time across lots and lots of sectors in terms of me first, you after me. Um, I think one thing that is quite often by my governess, for example, levelled back at me is what about you? And and maybe that's something I need to, to work on in terms of, yeah, what about me too? Because if I go pop, if I burn out, but then I'm surrounded by this fabulous team that we've constructed, we've organised and, and they protect me. And then the other thing we do is we laugh a lot. And, we, and that might sound a bit odd in the current circumstances, but that humour, that ability to see um, the good in anything is a key part, an intrinsic part of what we do at Latham. Um, and again, we've built that. We've built that over time. You know, we're talking about 
six years of leadership journey here now, um, astonishingly from my point of view. Um, I find that hard when I look back, it feels like about five minutes, but but you know, it's six years, but it's been six years that, that's well worth it in terms of looking at what kind of creative, supportive, caring, and ultimately a really high-performing um, team we've now got together. They're a joy to be it's with. It's interesting, that you, you know, that, that, that it's, it's a paradox in a way where you, you say, you know, the first thing I've got to look after myself as human beings, we say, let's look after ourselves, you know, and the sort of tribe, if you like, the team comes second. Yeah. But but you could actually argue the other way. You could yeah. say if you look after the team, the team will look after you. Yeah. You know, and I think that some, you know, leadership really comes into the microscope when there's a crisis. Yes. Everyone can lead on a, on a sunny day. On a good day. There's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> to do. Now is, there's a question of the coming to you for the answers to questions yeah. that you don't know. No. You know, and I suppose I always find that leadership is about you know, some people think that you have all the answers and actually you think, well, I, I don't have the answers. No. But what I do have is, is the courage to actually take a punt on this. Yeah. I'm willing to hold my hand up and say, I don't know, but but I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to go first in this in this yeah. thing. You know, and I think you're right. You know, you we did the same here. It's like people were laying people off. People were, because they were trying to protect the business. Yeah or they were trying to protect themselves or I'm not, I can't pay you because I'm not, I can't pay myself. And it was like, there was so much of that locally yeah. and on a, on a national level. And I think you're right. You know, you look after the team and the team yeah. will look after you. Yeah. It sounds very cliche, but we've seen it. You've, yeah, you've seen I, it. I think so. We, we, we developed a, during lockdown, one of the things that lockdown did, lockdown one did, was to give us time to review. Once things were set up and running and we got all our systems in place to check that everybody was safe at home for as long as they were at home all the way through the spring and the summer it did give us space and time to stop and think about the systems that we use um developing things that that we use for when we were able to return uh, and that's a time that we'll never get again um and it was precious and it was fabulous in terms of the opportunity it gave staff to think creatively rewrite resources rethink the way they deliver stuff um, and it gave us a chance to think about the staff and it, to think about well how do we then protect this Staff are your biggest asset. They're also your biggest expense in education, uh, but they're your biggest asset and they're what drives you, your school forward. How do we protect them? How do we look after them even more, really, and professionally as well as personally? And we, we created a framework for that. And somebody said to me, but, but you've lost your child focus by putting your staff first. And I said, no, I've put my staff first, so they'll put the children first. That's how that's going to work. All right, I see that now. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, it's, you know, it, it's a very, it's a great point, isn't it? You know, I think, I think Richard Richard Branson said that you, you know, what comes first? This 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 notion from the outside is yeah. that it's put the customer first. And yeah. it's, his response was very absolutely not. No. Put the staff first, and, and the customer will come first yeah. that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, by doing it that way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it's that value set, and it, and it's different. And I know that, you know, from that point of view. But the team and the way that we go about it isn't what lots of other people do. Do, do you think, I, I, I was watching a, a, a TED talk by, um, I don't know if you've seen Ken Robinson. Yes, yeah. Who very, very kind of outspoken on education as a whole. But one of the things that he said about uh, was, was ways to improve education was to put teachers much higher up in the food chain of um you know, how they're perceived, how they're supported, yeah. you know, the opportunities, the pay, mm. because actually, you know, teachers have this this huge role. 
Do you feel that, that teachers um, are still looked at, not not looked down upon, but are maybe not held in in, in the, a higher regard as maybe they should be? I think there's a real tension in society because I think the teacher's responsibility and educator's responsibility is, is significant. It's massive in terms of the development of the, of the child and the development of the child to become a citizen for society. And I think we've lost our way as a society in that regard, in terms of personal responsibility. Um, uh, and we're very much in a blame culture. So, so then it's very easy for mass media to point the finger at teachers and say, lazy teachers, look, they get all this holiday. They do this, they do that. And, and there's been a lot of that. Um, and then for a little while last year, there was a real sort of resurgence of, oh my word, aren't these teachers amazing? They're out in the communities, they're delivering food, doing all of those things. And then when schools aren't able to reopen fully, somehow that's the teacher's fault just right now. Um, so I think there's this tension all the time um, about where a teacher sits in society now. Uh, I think historically there was a greater respect for the profession than there perhaps is now. Um, but some of that's to do with, an awful lot of it's to do with media portrayal um, and, and, and political bias and where things are. Um, Sometimes the profession doesn't help itself, and that's not going to be a popular opinion for some colleagues, and I know that, but sometimes um, the way that we, as a profession, perhaps market ourselves could be better, it could be more effective, it could be more responsive to the way that society has changed, maybe. Um, but I do think, yes, I think, I think the profile of teachers has moved in the wrong direction overall, and, and I would very much like to see it um, repositioned but that would take quite a political shift really in terms of where people place value on state education particularly without getting too political um, there's a price on private education within the current setup that is um, way above what's in the public sector and, and that then creates a different division again um, but the divisive nature of, of the media portrayal of stuff like education and health at the current time creates um, creates a bias there in people the way that people view it I think and I think what people expect has changed you know people expect a great deal without giving very much in certain sectors of society and around certain things and those are pressures that we have to then deal with um, because at what point does a parent's responsibility begin and end and where does a teacher's begin and end and I think those lines have been blurred um, a lot in recent years. As, as a head teacher, you know, I can't, we can't go on without asking. Uh, you know, I wanted to talk about this with you. I, I want to just shift this round a little bit yeah. because it's a nice segue into what I was going to ask you about the system of education. For me, uh, in, and it's interesting, I, I, as you know, I went to, to this, the school that yeah. you are now the head of. I, I, I wonder, just speaking to you now, how, how much we would have maybe gone on rather than clashed in the sense that yeah. we, you know, you, you say a lot of the things that, that I, I just think are, are standard but actually that's not standard it's just that you that you know, your personality but it's interesting that you know we talk about education and in, in my head when I think about the system and I call I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. inverted you know quote unquote the system of education you know we think about conformity we think about compliance we think mm -hmm. about you know the standardization yeah and yet when we think about human beings we think about creativity individualism yeah. is is education you know, is it, do you think it's still preparing kids for a world which is, is changing even more so now with COVID? Yeah. Or, or is it still, do you think the system is still stuck in the past? I think the exam system's stuck in the past. Um, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid, you know, I'm not afraid to be bold in, in what I say. And I think the exam system is, is 
well overdue an overhaul in terms of what we offer, whether it prepares young people for life, whether it prepares them for society. I think an awful lot of what schools need to be offering and, and what we, we've driven at are the far wider discussions around values and around creativity, around creative thinking, about dealing with problems. Resilience is a heavily overused word at the moment, but about at least dealing with adversity, about understanding that you're not happy all day, every day. And what does that mean? And how do I function as a human being? How do I use my learning to help all of those things? For me, it's not about conformity. It's about routine. It's about routines that make you a successful adult. That doesn't necessarily mean conforming um, because it is about being an individual and about finding your place. Um, and I think within the system at the current time, there's plenty of room for improvement in terms of the way that you can develop young people to be far more successful in adult life. And therefore, we would reap the rewards of that as a society um, and for the future, because we'd have a, a, a crop of adults that are able to cope with the challenges of whatever life might throw at us next, um, understand the ups and downs that come with that, not badge it. Um, straight away as mental health and say right that's it I can't cope and 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 deal with things like social media deal with the pressures that come from that but understand that TikTok's not real you know that kind of thing for me is is vitally important that, that schools provide that balance that perhaps society isn't doing um, and that parents maybe are struggling to do as well um, so for me it's far more complex than the system currently um, leads us to believe, I think, and certainly the, the system could do with, to, to use that sort of expression, um, a rethink in terms of what society is like, what as a teenager you then need to cope with that, to survive and then thrive as an adult as you find your way and to accept that, you know what, it's all right to change direction. Let's encourage some courage to, to change direction, to say, okay, I thought that when I was 15, but actually at 21, I want to go in a completely different direction and not judge people for that. I think we're incredibly judgmental as a society now, um, more so than when I was a teenager, that's for sure. I think it's a tough gig growing up now, um, more so than perhaps we've ever seen. And I don't mean because of COVID, that adds a layer for everybody. Uh, but, but the way that things have changed, the way the system hasn't changed makes it tough to be a teenager. So, you know, part of my mission, if you like, is finding a way through for them, understanding every individual and finding an individual pathway through. So, you know, people that come and work for us, they've got to get that. They've got to understand the, you know, the lathen way, if you like, because it is about seeing the person, not conforming, but having systems that work, high, high expectations. But that absolute challenge is about, I think, is, is the best way to care not to smother them, not to say, now, now, that's going to be okay, but to challenge back, to challenge somebody to say, why not? Why can it be, why does it have to be like that? Why does it have to be, you know, why can it not be different? You know, make it so. The system doesn't actually give you a lot of scope that you have to build it yourself in your school at the current time. That, that, yeah, that's, and that's the point. You know, I, I look at, we look at the education system, it's, it's quite similar certainly across the UK it's yeah. certainly similar yeah, yeah. even even most of most yeah. of Europe it's very similar in the sense of the way that it's um you know the, the way that people are assessed the yeah. way that you know the hierarchy of subjects maths and languages sits yeah. at the top and you know and, and not to say that I mean I'm, I'm an, as an, an artist I think I, I feel like the art should be much higher up yeah. not to say that it, it should dislodge maths and languages but it's certainly I think it's that it's that point about creative thinking yeah. and I think that with with the world in the way that it is now you know 
we've all had to be creative. Mm-hmm. Every one of us has had to be creative. We've had to think originally. We've had to do things that we've maybe never done before. Yeah. You know, and also that, that looking at, you know, the demographics, do you think that schools... So what applies to you at Latham with the with the the, the makeup of children you've got from the town? Yeah. The, 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 so there's things that exist here, social norms that exist here yeah. that don't exist in Berkshire or don't no, exist absolutely. in Leeds or Manchester yeah, yeah. or Liverpool or whatever. So do you think that by devolving a lot of some of the responsibility to to creative thinkers like yourself and the team that you've got that you'd be able to deliver a much better package that suits the kids of that school? Um, if you were, in a, in, a, in a way, left to get on with it yourself? Yeah, undoubtedly. If you even left to get on with it within some... I have no problem with it being a system and a structure. We need structure um, to some degree. But performance measures, for example, that, that everybody's judged against, as you say, when the challenges that our children grow up with... Um, are different to those of ones just down the road. You don't have to go very far at all to see a very, very different type of um, adolescence of teenage years. And they're not excuses. And I'm always really clear. I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying, oh, they can't do that because of that. I'm saying, no, they can. But their starting point is so much further behind the line than, than their peers perhaps in another part of the country that to judge us from the same starting point is unfair. It also caps our ability to be creative. Caps our ability, because we always have to have an eye on but we're going to be judged by that. And yet, actually, the people that we produce to go on and become the young adults of Skelmersdale, of the Northwest, of wherever they choose to go and reside, actually is what we should be judged on. Do these people go on and thrive in, in their life? Do they go on and become successful? That's, judge me on that. Judge me on whether or not I turn out decent human beings to go on and make a positive contribution, to become good mums and dads themselves, to bring up children of their own that then keep that generational change going for for years to come. Um, Yes, they need an education to get there, but that education is far broader than an English and a maths qualification. And it shouldn't come at the cost of things that they enjoy, that they can thrive in, like the arts, so, yes, it does come with frustration. Would I like to be able to get on with more of it myself? Yes, I would, absolutely, because I absolutely believe in what I know is right for our community and what is right for our school. Um, in the end, do we have to be quite bold and brave about the decisions we make? Yeah, we do, because we've got to do what's best for, for us, for our young people, for our town. And sometimes that, that goes against the system. Well, if it does, so it, be it. it. You know, and it's amazing. <laughs> I, I think if I speak, I reckon if I asked a hundred teachers from from across the country a lot of them would would say the same thing like what does success look like yeah. success looks like whichever child every child is individual yeah. so what looks like success for this guy doesn't is not the same nope. for this girl you know and, and and like you say it's about them becoming you know giving members of society people who can contribute in whichever way yeah. that is i mean let's look at the pandemic in you know in a, under a microscope the the heroes, as well as the as the healthcare uh, workers and the teachers, which as I say, I felt went under the radar a little bit, were people like the bin men. Absolutely. You know the the, the people who work in that in Asda yeah. and, and and you know the taxi drivers and keep the, the keep the world moving. Yeah, the, you, you know? know. And who would have thought that those jobs that were the education or, mm. or certainly as I say, quote unquote, the system of education would see as a you know, someone who'd failed a little bit in, mm-hmm. in this or maybe you're working in here because of that, the stigmas that are attached, yeah. actually, they needed to be mm. 
those very specific type of yeah. people in order to do those very vital jobs at a time that the world yeah. needed it. Yeah, but without them, the world stops. You know, without them, things break very, really, really quickly. And if that is a job that generates an income, that means that somebody has a comfortable life and can look after the family well, who are we to judge whether or not, you know, where that success, success is a continuum and, and everybody's entitled to their place within that. And we talked before about not everybody's a leader and everybody has to find something that works for them. Um, the system, as it currently is set up, doesn't encourage that particularly uh, or at least downplays um, success at different levels, doesn't it? In my view, it very much is looking at this academic excellence at one end, which is important, um, but it's not attainable or achievable for everybody. And yet their own version of success is, and that should be valued more. Um, but more scope is needed in the system to make that more attractive to more leaders of schools without them feeling the pressure of how they're measured. Um, so maybe the way in which we're judged, maybe the way we're held to account could do to be more creative, um, I think, really. Big question, Jane. How does, how does it change? How are we going to... When will it change? Will it change? And, and you know, do you go through your career and think there's so much more that you would love to do, love to get your hands on it and, and, and change it, you know, or, or is it, you know, what's the, what's the problem? As you see it, what's the, you know, we, we know what the issues is and the shortcomings, and, but, but how does it change and will it ever change? It's hard, isn't it? Um, because some of it is ingrained, it's systemic, some of it's political and it changes with the wind of the political wind of, of change, if you like, depending on which party is in charge of the DfE. From our point of view, as schools, um, very bluntly, um, we're beholden to who's in, got the power at Westminster to some degree. I absolutely believe, however, that at individual level, at academy trust level, in the way that the, the world is organised now, there's enough power to make a difference within your own organisations to then gather momentum in your own community and to talk to like-minded people and find a kind of movement, really, to keep things developing. Um, you push back enough, you show success, somebody starts to listen, you get an invite to Philadelphia, be it virtually or not, but you get the chance to go and talk to 5,000 people about what you're doing um, and maybe, just maybe, somebody important who can make a change there is listening. And I'd like to think that, you know, you, you, you carve out those opportunities as a leader, um, find the right person from time to time in a, in a meeting or and, and, and something then starts to shift. So I have to believe that it's possible to keep finding those opportunities for, for wider change, to not lose heart, really. But ultimately, every year more children come through my school, I've got another generation, and therefore I don't lose heart, really, because that next generation of children need us too. Um, so, yes, I do think some change is possible. I do accept, however, some of the um, constraints within which we operate. And again, it's that, that wisdom, I think, to know where you can control, where you can influence, and where sometimes you've just got to bite your lip, take a bit of a breath, find a different path, Mark, though, that's all. Just find another way through it. But I think, you know, you've got a very clear, like, end goal, as in, there, is, there isn't an end. It, you know, there's not this finished article it will always evolve as yeah. society evolves but I think you know what was interesting I was talking about my my school journey was you know I, I was always labeled disruptive I was mm -hmm. always labeled the person that would speak out of turn yeah and what they meant I think 
you know, don't get me wrong. You know, I can look back at some of the things that I'd done and said, and you know, it, it was it wasn't it wasn't great, but you know, <laughs> I, I could I could always I was willing to say the things that other people wouldn't say. Yeah. I was willing to challenge authority. It, you know, didn't have the tools to do that respectfully. Yeah. Um, I, I would do that in, in, in a disrespectful way at times. Um, but I was showing the signs of, you know, maybe someone that could have an influence. And I had a lot of influence as a kid in school. I had mm. maybe more influence with my, with the year group than potentially the teachers had. Yeah. And it was interesting how, you know, that was, on the large part, that was not encouraged. Yeah. No one tried to give me t- tools to do that better. Mm. They just said, don't do it at all. And yet here you are, you as a, as a head teacher of that same school and, and, and no doubt schools right across the country of someone like you, someone like who is willing to stand up in a room full of academics or in politicians and say, this is not actually the way I think it should be mm. done. It takes an awful lot of courage yeah. to do that. You and, know. A, and don't think teenage me would recognise that. No. Thinking I, about your own school absolutely. journey, teenage me wouldn't ever have done that. I wasn't the outspoken one. I quietly got on with it. Occasionally got into trouble, but very much got on with it, but wanted to go under the radar. Um, so to find myself in this position now, there are moments when I do so, I go, where did that come from? Um, I suppose the older I get, the more experience I have, the more I think, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And what? Come on then, bring it on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's, let's be brave, let's try it, and let's see what happens, let's see where it'll take us. I think what's really interesting is in the, the dialogue of change for us at Latham, that encouraging young people to find their voice, to challenge the status quo appropriately, with respect, is part of what we do. Mm-hmm. It's not what everybody does, because lots of people like control, they like conformity, they just like it all to be just so. But if you're going to develop creative thinkers, if you're going to develop curiosity in human beings, you've got to accept that you want them to challenge. You want teenagers to challenge. And teenagers are programmed to challenge. So embrace it. You know, I say to staff all the time, look, they're programmed to fight back. They're teenagers. Those hormones are there for a reason. Let's use it. Let's show them because they'll be more successful in life as a result of being able to question and make decisions for themselves. Now, don't get me wrong, it doesn't always go right. And you've got to be there to pick up the pieces. But is that not how we learn? Mm-hmm. By t- trying something, being brave enough, taking those risks, developing that thinking, and then going again and trying again and, and learning from that. Um, but like I say, it's not what everybody does. But we believe that, yeah, why would we not want a group of young people to go out of our organisation ready to challenge mm. where they think that something's not right um, and do it fairly, justly, in a way that is with good manners and good grace Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get them further in life. Uh, yeah, I think it's such a such a, f- a fabulous point. And, and I, you know, there was teachers in 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 that school. I always remember my my drama teacher, who's you know, it, it changed my life in many ways because he gave me he gave me the opportunity to use the influence yeah. in a positive way, and he told me so. And I always remember on day one when I, I walked into that high school theatre and, and I was sat there and I was conducting my own conversation, and it was very much. You, you know, I'll finish when I'm ready type of thing. And he didn't didn't shout and bawl. He just said, he just pointed and he pointed his finger at me. He said, when you're that important, all the seats will be facing you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> which, was, which was just enough to say, 
you know, it, it was brilliant actually, and and we 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 got on great. And he was an old he was old school. Yeah, yeah. He's still alive actually, Clive Sharon. Uh huh. Um, living in Australia, and uh, he, you know, messages me every so often on on social media, um, and he changed my life in many ways yeah. because. But he was somebody that that had um, had a very clear, you know, I think success to him wasn't about what does it look on paper? Did you get the GCSE that you wanted? It was very much, are you a better human being than you yeah. were when you came in? And I, and there was other teachers in that school as well, you know? And I think like what you're saying, I don't mind if someone wants to challenge me. No. I, I, because I was that kid who challenged. So, yeah. you know, don't let's pop calling the kettle black. Yeah. It was like, but what I've learned exactly what you said is there is a way to do that. Yeah. And there was mm. a, there was a, a respectful yeah. way to do that. Um, but then on the other side, the person who is taking that criticism yeah. or, you know, fronting up that challenge has got to be, has have the same sort of graces. They've got to do that with good grace. They've got to do it with humanity, with empathy. And they've got to think, why? Why is this challenge coming? And I think for me, you, you said something there about, you know, his words stayed with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's really interesting. It's really important also that... that most young people have something that some teacher says to them along the way that stays with them for a long, long time. But it's to do with the why. It's to do with the fact he was explaining to you why. Why you want, he wanted you to have positive influence with your peers. Mm-hmm. He could see that in you, but he, you knew that that's what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And a huge bit of what we do and what I believe in is that no matter who I'm working with, whoever I'm leading, it's the why. It's the reason for what we're doing. So you don't need to shout and bore. It's not about control. It's not about do this or else. It's do this because, or let's do this because. Here's the reason. Do you understand why? Why have we all got to wear masks at the current time? Whether we agree with it or not, what's the reason for doing it? Do you then get compliance? Yeah. Are we safer because of it? Yes, we are. So then we take that into a learning conversation. We take that into our human behaviour. And my mantra to staff is always explain why calmly with good grace and if a challenge comes back deal with it and ask them why why are they but that that word for me mm-hmm. that reason for what we do helps young people get so much further helps your team get so much further in terms of thinking why are we doing this um it changes then, it from commanding totally, control doesn't it absolutely and you, you give the person you're working with whether it's an adult or a teenager or a small child a chance to take a choice, make a choice for themselves, take a chance, take an opportunity and consider consequence. And through that, you, you're developing personal responsibility. And, and I've said to you before, and I said, you know, for me, that, that's so lacking in so many areas that we see where young people are looking for role models. They don't see apology. They don't see personal responsibility. And there's absolutely nothing wrong in my book. I am old school. There's nothing wrong with saying sorry if you've made a mistake. Mm-hmm. You should do. And you should expect responsibility for your actions because they were yours and yours alone. They were your words and yours alone. So use them wisely. Then if you get it wrong, say so. And model that. And that goes for, and then, that goes for everybody. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people don't do that. I put an apology on social media the other day because we had a system problem last week at school. Somebody put on the bottom, it's lovely to see somebody saying sorry for mm. something, even something so small. And you think, that's crazy. That shouldn't be like that. Um, so, yeah, I know I'm old school. I know I'm old-fashioned in lots and lots of ways. And yet, not in others. But that balance, I think, for young people, finding their way through 
a very muddled, very tricky society. It's our job to find that and lead that. And but I lead think you, our you staff know, to by it. you lead in, by, by saying sorry when things, you try something doesn't work, you don't have all the answers, and then you say sorry. It just allows, it, it makes it acceptable for, for maybe mm. other people in yeah. positions to do exactly the same. Yeah. And it's just humility and it's very simple, but, but like you say, it, it helps to kind of cement mm. that, that culture. And I, I had a, a, when I think back, I remember saying to a, a teacher of mine, um, it's not my job to love this lesson. It is your job to make me love this lesson. That seems like a really, to me now, it, it, it's it's basic. Yeah. I don't think I said it probably as, as nicely <laughs> as that, but but that's what I that's what I meant, and I still believe that now. Yeah. I still believe that now. Like kids don't see the value in the subject. Some of them do, but a lot of them don't. No. They love the ones that they love, but they yeah. don't see why this is important. And it's up to teachers to mm. to do that and, yeah. and show them that and and teach and, them that and I develop think. a love of something and an enjoyment of something simple. You know, we're in danger of overcomplicating every little bit of life that there isn't yet. If if COVID teaches us nothing other than to just stop and breathe and be grateful for what we've got in that moment, then, you know, that, that would be something for me, particularly for teenagers that live their lives on their phones, that live their lives in this social media vacuum, um, particularly with no school and nothing else to balance that up at the moment. You know, that for me is a challenge at the current time um, is to stop. But to have that love of something fostered and developed, and like you say, that, that responsibility comes from the teacher. This is their subject. Why would they not want it to be the most, you know, fascinating, passionate um, hour of their lives every time they've got that particular subject? You know, not everybody sees it that way, but, but yeah, why would it not be such? Um, and then to teach people to enjoy something, to actually see it. And, and you know, it's all right to not like things too, to sort of try something and go, Nope, that's not for me. Thank you. You know, that's me and jazz music. All right, I try, I try and try again. It just doesn't do anything for me. Um, but that's all right too, isn't it? To think about it and analyse something and think, no, no, thank you. And um, it's good to having the courage to say, say no. Yeah. That's me and yeah. olives, by the way. I'm all oh, right, okay. olives. Everything yeah. else fine, but olives. But not olives. I, I, want, I want to finish, Jane, with, with you know, talking about the, the, you know, what I'd call the, the good side of COVID. Uh-huh. I, I, I've been... Um, I've enjoyed the challenge in many ways, but there's, don't get me wrong. You know, people look at me as a as, as a real, a real positive person and yeah. a real optimistic person, and and that's true. But but I I've had some really difficult difficult days, both professionally and personally, throughout this whole situation. Um, but I, I you know, I think I'd look, I'd like to think that I could come up with, a, you know, a, a long list of of things that are good about this situation apart from the obvious you know the tragedy that's being the, the deaths and people losing loved ones and people losing jobs and businesses that that is obviously the, the bad side but what mm. what for you what's what can we learn from this what you know what as a as a, as a uh, professional uh, educator what what can we take away from this whole thing I'm with you and there's been an awful lot of what we've done that we've really enjoyed despite the challenges. We've we've enjoyed rising to the challenge, I think, and, and finding that things are possible. Things that maybe staff thought, young people thought, I can't do that. We've seen them turn their hand to lots of different things. We've turned, seen staff develop um, technological skills they didn't know they had so that they can deliver that remote learning. Uh, young people accessing their own learning. There's, there's a I hope, an increased 
independence in our young people in terms of their learning, for example, um, that they will be able to say, well, I can do this on my own now. Um, they need that guidance, they need that support, but actually they're a little bit more autonomous, they're a little bit more resilient, really. Um, for us, it's that teamwork, it's how it's brought our team together. Um, it, it, absolutely, I can't, I can't articulate what it's done actually for, for our team uh, ethos in terms of having to work together differently. Um, but also I think I come back to that care, people knowing they're cared for and therefore responding to one another differently, taking time out to, to look after one another just that little bit more professionally. Um, I think it's proved to us that we can go further and we can do more, even with limited resources. We can find different ways to make a difference. Um, and I hope that that creativity that we've had to develop and use will be able to find the time and space for to protect it at a point where we're back to working um, in a way that we're more used to. I won't use normal. I don't think it'll ever be normal, whatever that means, ever again, but in a way that's more traditional maybe or that we were used to. But that's not to say that some of the things we've had to do differently, we won't keep. And that some system changes we've made are undoubtedly better than what we would have been before. And we would never have done it because we didn't need to. Or we'd have thought, oh, not sure about that. And now we can see it working and people say, we should keep that, you know, when this is all over. Yep, yeah, you're right. But people having that voice and saying confidently, you know, we've tried things, we've tried things they've worked, we've tried things they haven't. We've got braver at saying that works, doesn't it? That doesn't. And then changing direction. So can we keep that bravery? Can we keep that courage and that creativity to perhaps push the system back just a little bit more so we can do more for our young people? I hope so. And I think, you, like you say, everyone, I think what we've learned is that certainly in your, the, the, you know, the microcosm that is Latham, that, that everyone, they know, I mean, you've set this culture right from the get-go that everybody now has each other's back. Yeah. And when, you know, when the, you know, when the, uh, the chips are down or you're in a very, very dire situation that you will, you will protect them at all costs and they will, in turn, will protect the kids. And I think that, you know, that can only be uh, a good thing that if people didn't know it before, then, yeah. then they know it now. I hope so. Um, Jane, I think it's been really fascinating. I, I knew it would be. Uh, <laughs> thank you for your honesty and openness. Um, you know, I wish you all the very best in terms of doing what you can to to, just to change that system yeah. piece by piece um, and I think if I was you know if I had my time again and I was I was a pupil in 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 a school where you were the head teacher um, maybe my um, my big mouth would have been would have been <laughs> put to better use put to good use Mark I think <laughs> uh, Jane thank you so much that was great thanks Mark thank you